So, uh, like I said, we're in Acts 22. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you don't, you can follow along with the wall. Verse 1. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear my witness. From them, I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. And as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see, because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me, said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said to me, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask that you would speak this evening. God, we recognize that these words are just words without your power behind them. God, we recognize that nothing that I say means anything. That, God, none of these songs that we sing mean anything apart from your power. So, Lord, we pray that you would stir within us a passion to learn. God, you would stir within us motivation to to be thinking about these things on more than just Sundays. God, we pray that you would be moving in our lives and arranging the pieces around us so that we would be able to go forth and use this truth that you're giving us. God, we pray that this evening 
you would speak into our hearts. God, you would change something within us that would affect the way that we live so that those around us might see our difference. God, I pray that you would kill the man that I am, that, God, you would destroy the thoughts and opinions that I am bringing to this text, that, God, just wipe it away so that only you shine forth. God, let this night be powerful. Lord, we pray this all according to your will. Amen. If you would, we have a short film to begin our sermon. You might have been a little bit confused, right? Uh, Because uh, basically what just happened is there's this story that's circulated in this family. It's been circulated for years. Uh, And there's actually a series of these videos uh, on on YouTube where they've got like 15, where they've just got these old family stories. And and they ask their kids uh, to tell them back to them. They film it and act them out. And it's hilarious. That's not the actual end of the story, by the way. It's just... I didn't, it's like eight minutes long, so I didn't use the whole thing. Eventually, the guy goes to their house, and then they fight in the yard, and then the guy leaves. And his truck is sparkly, according to that little girl. So uh, we have those sorts of things, though, right? We, we have those stories in our family. We have those stories with our friends, right? Those, those things that just kind of get circulated around and around and around. You're like, oh, yeah, I remember that time that Uncle Bill set the mattress on fire or something. I, I, my family, we, I have an Uncle Chris and uh, there's this old story of how he set all of their laundry, the clothesline, on fire one day while playing with matches uh, in southern Mississippi where you don't have a lot of mattresses or whatever, you know. So, like, there's, there's all these sorts of things that we tell and we know. And, and why do those stick with us? It's because, man, we are people that love stories, right? You, you can tell these little kids who, man, they, they're vision, their, their intellect doesn't go too terribly far at that point in their lives, but yet they remember these stories. Because stories are such an effective way of packaging information and making it engaging and memorable. That's why when we look in Scripture, a lot of times we see Christ speaking in stories, right? He communicated deep theological truth in story form. People would ask him things like, hey, Christ, you know, like, what's, what's the deal with heaven, Right, this huge issue. And Christ would say, Well, there was this guy walking through a field one time, right? And he found this treasure, and it was great, right? And he just goes off in the store, and he was like, Oh, okay, right? And they and they understand because it was packaged in this way that they could get and they would remember it. Right? That's just how we are designed. And what's beautiful is the fact that it's as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, we all have our own story. We've all been given by God our own personal, individual story about how God has moved in our lives, about how God has changed us, about how we became saved. It's what we often call a testimony, literally a defense for our faith, a reason for why we believe what we believe, how God moved in my life. We all have one as Christians. And what we see tonight What we just saw in Acts 22 is Paul using his story, using his story to spread the gospel of Christ to a bunch of people that he didn't even know. And what I want us to realize is that we should be doing that same thing. And what's so great is that we live in a culture that will readily accept our stories. We live in a culture that worships the individual, right? That's why we have a culture that is centered around people looking at my thoughts on Twitter, right? This is what I think about these things. Hashtag 
isn't it crazy, right? Like that's, we have that, right? You want to see my photos on Instagram, right? You want to see my photos very briefly on Snapchat, right? Like you want to see these different things about me because I am important. That's what our culture tells us over and over and over again. You are so important as an individual, no matter what you have to say, no matter what you think, it is, it's awesome. You believe whatever you want to believe, and it's great, and you're the best, and you're special. That's what our culture tells us. And so what we can do as believers is we take that worship, and then we redirect it to God. And we can do it really sneakily, because we tell people, well, this is, this is my story. And people are like, oh, really? What, what is it? And you say, well, this is how my life was changed by God. And they're like, ah, Christian, right? Like, you, you get them. You sneak it in. You're able to take your individual story and use it not to build yourself up, not to have people raise you and glorify you and worship you, but instead you use your story to worship God and to glorify him. And that's what we're seeing Paul do. If you were confused about who was talking, man, that's Paul. That's Paul standing in front of a group of people, a group of Hebrews who hated him, who were trying to kill him. And yet he had this moment where he was able to address the crowd and we pick up four big principles from it. And and I just want to say right off the bat, some of us, man, we we hear Paul's testimony. We read that in Acts 22 and we think, yeah, well, I would tell my testimony all the time too, right? I would share my story all the time if I was confronted by Jesus Christ on the road and was blinded, right? And God told me and sent me all these places. I would tell that too. Instead, my story is I got saved when I was five awesome, right? I wasn't like shooting up neighborhoods and kicking puppies, right? Like I was just, I was a five-year-old and I became saved and I lived in a Christian home and I just kind of went that way, right? Maybe that's what you're thinking. Maybe you think that you have a boring testimony, but man, there's this old story of this guy that used to work in a church and he went to a prison uh, for this sort of temporary prison ministry thing. And he was with these other guys, these ex-cons, and they were getting up in front of these prisoners and they were sharing their testimonies. That's how they were presenting the gospel. They were sharing their testimonies. And all these guys kept getting up that were talking about, you know, oh, you know, I was down in this life. I was addicted to like all this stuff, right? I was just drinking gasoline and I got shot nine times, right? Like they got all these like crazy stories. And they said, but then I found Jesus and it changed everything. And so when this guy, when it was his turn, he just, in his mind, was like, this is going to be terrible because my testimony is so boring. He's like, I got saved as a young kid, grew up in a Christian family. I'm boring. But he got up, shared it, and got down, and just sort of felt like an idiot. But then after they all shared, there, uh, one prisoner came up to him. and was like, hey, I, I really want to talk to you about this Jesus thing. And they, they got to talking, and he shared some scripture with him, and he led the guy to Christ. And after he did that, he was talking with the inmate and talking about what to do now. And the inmate uh, was kind of talking to him. He's like, you know, can I, can I tell you why I wanted to talk to you? Well, like, why I wanted to talk to you? The man was like, sure, you know, like, I just assumed everyone else was busy, right? Like, why, why did you want to talk to me? And the guy said, well, so anytime I hear people talk about Jesus, they've all been just rock bottom. It's like they've, they've been druggies. They've been murderers addicts. Like, I just see those people using Jesus as their way out. He says, but you, man, you, you were never there. You didn't hit that. And so when I look at you, I realize that Jesus isn't just for druggies and addicts. He's for everybody. Even if your life from the outside looks great, you still need Christ. 
So that's why I want to talk to you. That's, that's why I realize that this, this is my time to accept him. You see, God has given each of us a unique individual story for a reason. And so we shouldn't be ashamed of that. We should take pride. We should be excited about the unique story that God has given each of us because he is planning on using it in some way that we can't even fathom. But when we look at Paul's testimony, when we look at his story, it helps us kind of guide the way that we shape our own stories. It gives us four big principles to kind of look at. When we are shaping our stories, when we're thinking of our stories, we need to be aware of our culture. We need to be honest about our conduct. We should be detailed in our conversion. And we need to be bold in our calling. We're just going to walk through this. Man, tonight, this is what we're doing. We're just walking through this sea by sea. And we're going to see how Paul laid out his story and how we can lay ours out similarly. So looking at verse 1, chapter 22, read it again. It says, brothers and fathers, okay, this is Paul, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, in Cilicia, keep stripping me up, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. Immediately, we see Paul starting off aware of the culture he's speaking to. We see him being strategic with both his language and with his references. It's kind of confusing when you read that and you see uh, when it says that when they heard he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet, right? Well, that's special. That's, that's very, very special because basically what that means is that Paul is speaking in what's, what was probably Aramaic and he's speaking to them and that's special because at that time, right, everyone else was speaking Greek. And so when he would stand up and speak in this other tongue, this, this older language that the Jews had, had preserved, that the Hebrews spoke, they would be amazed. They would be surprised because they knew that Paul was a Hellenistic Jew. And they knew that these Jews who had kind of grown up in the Greek culture, right, because he was a Roman citizen, when they saw that he had grown up in that, they would just assume, oh, he's a, you know, he's a sellout. He just speaks, you know, Greek nowadays. But instead he speaks to them, in their language, because he knows his audience, because he's saying, I want to speak to you. I want to make sure that I'm strategic in the words that I'm using. Uh, my wife and I have an opportunity uh, this summer uh, to go over to France. Uh, we're, we're going to be spending some time uh, in, in the country, uh, a, a lot of it in Paris. And because of that, uh, I was talking to my mom and because she has been there multiple times. And as soon as I told her, yeah, we're going to go there. We're seeing Susan, my wife's parents. Uh, they're going to be over there. And so we're going to go visit them. And my mom was like, immediately, she's like, okay. She's like, well, listen, there's one thing you're going to do. It's you got to learn a little bit of French. Okay. Learn the French, Jacob. I was like, okay. Yeah. All right, mom. You know, like bonjour. You know, like I got it. And she's like, no, no. She's like, you don't understand. She says, those French people, they can be really mean, okay? So I'm, something horrible happened to my mother that was traumatizing, apparently, when she was in France. But something happened where she said, no, Jacob, they can be so mean if you make no effort to speak French. She said, you can just speak it. You can even speak it terribly. But if you just make the effort, they'll be so much nicer. 
She's like, just, just learn French, okay? I said, okay, mom. Gracias. I got it, right? Like, like I, you know, I, was, I was like, okay, okay, all right, right? But it's because she knew, hey, look, you've got this audience, and they have this certain way. You need to be strategic in the way you speak. Otherwise, you're going to offend them. Because sometimes the way that we talk, man, people either don't connect with it or they bump against it. Uh, I had uh, a guy in one of my Bible studies when I was uh, over a high school Bible study. Uh, we had a kid come in from South Korea. He was just over in the States temporarily, and he spoke English incredibly well. Uh, he was actually born in America, had been living in South Korea for the past 10 years, and just came back for a few months. And so he spoke English really, really well. But as we were sitting there and having Bible study, we were talking, I made sure to include the gospel like three times, right? Because I mean, you never know. Anytime you have a visitor like that, uh, you want to make sure you're getting the gospel in there because that's, that's what matters. And so as I'm talking about it like over and over and over again at the end, I was kind of like, so, you know, what do you guys think? You got any questions about da 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 And the kid kind of stopped me. He was like, his name was David. And David was like, well, he's like, here's the thing. I, I really, I liked all the stuff you were saying, but, but what's, what's sin? I was like, oh. I was like, so I kind of, you know, kind of explained. I was like, well, those are, you know, wrong things we do. Da, da, da. And he was like, oh. He's like, okay. He's like, and, and that's, that's like salvation. What's salvation, right? He didn't know salvation. He didn't know uh, resurrection. Uh, he didn't know redemption. He didn't know all of these like Christian-y buzzwords that I was just kind of throwing out because I didn't even realize it, but I was speaking this language that he did not even understand. Because there are people around us who don't grow up in the same culture as we do. There's people around us who haven't been to church as many times as we have. And they don't use these words like slave of sin, right? Like you say that to them and they're like, what in the world? Like they they don't know what's going on. Because we have these strange words that we throw around. And so we need to be aware of the culture that we're speaking to. We need to be aware of the audience that we have. And we need to be strategic with the way that we speak. So as you're thinking about your story, of how God moved in your life. You need to be careful not to just fill it with a lot of stuff like sanctification, right? And propitiation and some sort of eschatology, right? Like, I don't know. Like, you just, you can't just throw in these big church words because people don't know what that means, right? You can throw them in, but you've got to explain them. But more so than just his language, Paul was also very strategic with his references. I don't know if you noticed, but he uh, makes all these connections to being a Jew, to being born in Tarsus, to being brought up in Jerusalem, being educated at the feet of Gamaliel, strict man of the law, zealous for God. He makes all these references that we kind of like, Gamaliel, well, he's, the, he's who gave Frodo the ring. Like, what? Like, we don't really know what these things are. But Paul was being very strategic with his references because he knew his audience would connect with every single thing that he brought up. Jew? I'm a Jew. How about that? Well, I'm going to listen to this guy, right? Like that's, that's what he's doing. He's being very strategic with his references that he's making. The same way uh, when, we had, when I was over junior high ministry, we had adopted uh, a kid uh, named Mwangi over in Africa. Mwangi. He was, our, he was our child that we were supporting through compassion. And so every week we would have the Mwangi dance. We'd like raise money for him and, and pass around the bucket and all that stuff. And every few time, or a few times every semester, we would write letters to Mwangi because he would write us letters. And so we would write them back. And so I w- we would have, you know, like 60 junior high kids all laying on the floor of the gym, like scrawling out these letters. And they would write the most hilarious stuff most of which I would have to throw away and eventually gave them clear instructions on what to write because they would write these 
crazy letters with these references to like video games. He'd be like, hey, Mwangi, what's your favorite video game, right? And the kid is an orphan. Like he grows up in not America. Like he does not have those things, right? And they'd be like, oh, well, my family just bought a new car. Now we have seven, right? And it's like, you don't need to write that to Mwangi, right? Like Mwangi would write us letters. He's like, I ate an apple. And you're like, that's awesome. Like you just, that's the world that he lived in. And, and so we couldn't make these references because there was no connection there, right? It would confuse Mwangi. In the same way, every time I speak, right, even so far in the last 10 minutes, as I've been speaking, I've been very strategic with the references that I make. I'm very strategic with what I refer to. I realize that I have a certain audience, I have mostly A&M and Blinn students who are, a lot of you, older. I know that. And so because of that, I'm not going to make a reference to the Animaniacs episode I saw three weeks ago, right? Because, like, one person knows what that is. And so I'm not going to refer to that, right? Like, I'm going to be strategic. I'm going to pick things that connect with you. In the same way, when you are speaking your story, when you're telling your story to someone, You need to think about your language, and you need to think about the references that you make. How can you connect with this person? What's their background? If you're talking about how Christ is really cool, and because he's like like a father and all this stuff, and the person you're talking to had a horrible relationship with their dad, they were abused, if you know that about them, man, that's going to change the way that you present your story. That's going to change the references that you make. If they're from another culture, international, right? If it's an international student, you're going to make different references to them, right? You're going to have to think about where are they coming from? What kind of background do they have? What are they bringing into this conversation? Because I need to make sure to connect with them. I need to be strategic with my words, with my references. But more so than that, we also see Paul being honest about his conduct. Now, what I mean by this is that Paul, in verse 4, says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding, delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. I don't know if you caught that, but right at the beginning of verse 4, Paul is bearing his soul to his audience. He's telling them about some horrific things that he did in his past. He's telling them about the way that he lived before he met Christ. And this is rough stuff. This is stuff that Paul would be ashamed of. This is stuff that Paul would not be really happy to share. This is stuff that Paul probably wants to glance over because Paul killed Christians. He was responsible for deaths of so many Christians, many of whom were probably related to or loved by people that he now interacted with. Do you realize that? As he was going to this church in Jerusalem, as he was going to these other churches around the area, I mean, they probably knew the people that Paul had dragged to prison that were probably at this point dead. They knew those people. And Paul was responsible for their death. But Paul was willing to talk about it. He's willing to open it up because he knew two things. He knew that he was forgiven, and he knew that people respect authenticity. 
He knew that God had already forgiven him of all of those horrific things that he had done. That's why he was so free to share them. That's why he could say, look, I did these things and they were terrible. But he said that because he knew God has forgiven me. I don't have to feel guilt. I don't have to feel shame because Christ died for those sins that I committed. So I don't have to be ashamed of them anymore. Instead, I'm free to use them as an example of what my life looked like before Christ, as a way to connect with my audience. He says, I can use these examples the same way that in my talks, a lot of times I will make references to times that I disappointed my wife terribly, right? There are so many examples. Times when she has kicked me out of her car or times I've made her cry so many tears, right? Like I, I have wounded my wife repeatedly. That's just how relationships work. And I am able to share that in my sermons over the past six years because I know that she's already forgiven me. Because I know that it's water under the bridge, that it's conflict that we've already resolved, right? It would be very different if I came up and said, oh yeah, it's just like that time, like two minutes ago, I texted my wife and told her she was an idiot. (laughs) Isn't that great? Right? Like I couldn't do that, right? She's crying in the bathroom right now. Like I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to do that. Why? Because I'm in the midst of that horrific situation, right? Because I'm in the midst of that conflict. I'm in the midst of that sin, I can't use that example because that's a, that'd be a terrible example, right? Instead, I use things that I know are complete, that are done, that are forgiven. And that's what Paul's doing. He says, I know I can share these dark things with you because I know I'm forgiven. Because I don't have to worry about them anymore. They don't have to drag me down. Not only did he know that he was forgiven, but he knew that, I w- that he needed to share those things because people, man, people love authenticity. People are attracted to authentic people. That's how we're designed. That's how we're geared. A few weeks ago, uh, there was a baptism Sunday over at Southwood. Uh, we had uh, just the entire morning was all geared around how these different people were getting baptized. Uh, there were like 16 people across the two services. Uh, and in the first, or in the second service, the first guy to get up, one of eight that were going to get baptized, he got in the tub. And if you've ever seen uh, a baptism here at Grace, what we do is we offer them a chance to share a little bit about themselves. We give them a chance to share their story of how they came to Christ. And so he sat there and he started talking about how he was raised. And he was raised in this home that kind of respected God, but not really. He started talking about how this kind of led him into this weird path of this weird view of religion. And then he started talking about how that eventually led him into just straight up addiction to pornography. And he said this in the main service. And even as I just said that to a college crowd, we're all kind of like, <laughs> right? There's that moment. But he was unashamed. He said, I was addicted to pornography. And I struggled in addiction to pornography for years. Said I couldn't break away from it. This is until one night, there's this conversation that he had, and, and a few other events kind of came together to where he realized that he was living in the dark, that he was living in sin and in death, and he gave it up in order to chase Christ. And that's why he's getting baptized, because he wanted to show the world that he had placed his faith in Christ, that he had received forgiveness for his sins, that Christ had freed him out of the bondage to pornography. And as soon as he said it, man, everyone was just, wow. And Blake, the, the head pastor, he even was standing, he didn't even know what to say. He was like, well, that's awesome. Like, that's what he said. 
And then everyone in the entire, you know, uh, area, room, <laughs> everyone in the Brian Call Station area, right? Everyone in the sanctuary just cheered. Everyone just, whoa, like just went crazy and clapping. And everyone was just pumped out of their minds because they saw a man be authentic about his faith. They saw a man be authentic about the death that he was in the midst of and was pulled out of by Christ. And when they saw that, they cheered and we rejoiced. It was an amazing moment. I legitimately teared up. Not even kidding. I teared up because it was so beautiful to watch 800 people scream and cheer for this guy because he found Christ. Because he was willing to be authentic about where he was beforehand. Because he was honest about his conduct. So as you're thinking through your story, I know there are going to be pieces that you want to just skip right over. And now you can use discretion, right? Like if I'm talking to a six-year-old, I'm not going to tell him, yeah, in high school, I slept with so many people, right? Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into that, right? I'm going to use that with discretion, right? Like maybe I tell that to someone else, right? I use you know, a certain language, that kind of stuff. We, we keep the culture in our mind. But, I mean, we need to be honest. We need to be willing to bring up that past conduct, to be honest about it. Because we know that we're forgiven and we know that people respect that authenticity. So if you have dealt, man, with addiction, if you've dealt with substance abuse, if you've dealt with physical abuse, emotional abuse, my heart breaks for you. But I promise you that God will use that piece of your story to affect someone. Because those pieces are powerful. And God can use it. That's why we need to be honest about this conduct. We need to be honest about that life that we had before Christ. But more so than just our culture and our conduct, we also can be detailed with our conversion. Look at verse 6. Paul says, As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who live there, came to me. And standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will. Now catch this. To see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Right there, Paul goes into incredible detail about his conversion, about when he met Christ, the specifics of how that went down. And in the process of giving his conversion, I don't know if you caught it, but he had a few key points, a few huge details that basically summed up the gospel for his audience. 
In verse 8, he says that he's talking to Christ, or that Christ talks to him on the road. I'm Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you persecute. He's telling his Jewish audience, hey, Christ is alive. You tried to kill him? Nope. Resurrected. And then in verse 14, he tells him Christ is the Messiah. When he, when he uses that term righteous one, that was a known old Hebrew term for the Messiah, the one who would come, the Savior. He says, I talk to Christ because he's alive. And guess what? He is the righteous one. He is the Messiah. And not only is he the Messiah who has come, who has been raised, but in verse 16, he says, all I do is call upon his name. And just like that, my sins were washed away that I demonstrate through baptism. It says, because I have already called upon his name, I can be baptized knowing that my sins are done. He shares the gospel in his story. And we need to do that. Realize that if you are not sharing the gospel within your story, it is a waste, right? We have these amazing individual unique stories that are great and awesome and they point to God. But if we do not include the gospel within it, it's pointless. It's pointless. Uh, We used to have an event right here around Easter uh, over at Southwood called Extravaganza. And at extravaganza, we would have an Easter egg hunt, okay? And normally, uh, some poor, poor college student would dress up uh, like the Easter bunny for some reason, because that's Christian, and uh, would run around, and kids would take pictures with them. They'd be really excited, and they'd hide eggs. Uh, And at some point, they would have a gospel presentation. And I was given the honor of performing the gospel presentation last year. And let me tell you, if you... Okay, let's just do this. Let's imagine, let's imagine a four-year-old, okay? There's a four-year-old standing right here. Now, I don't know if you've interacted with a lot of four-year-olds, but because there's a four-year-old right there, just any, any average four-year-old, he will automatically be like spinning around in circles and yelling, okay? That's just what they do. That's how they live. Four and under, that's all they do. Or cry. Or pee, okay? And so that's what he's doing, right? Screaming and shouting, okay? So just imagine how distract. Imagine just how distracting that would be if I was trying to talk and, you know, da, 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 and there's just, ah, you know? So that's going on. Now, take that kid, okay? We're moving to extravaganza now. Take that kid, multiply him by 400. That's how many four and unders were in the Southwood sanctuary. 400 screaming, running crazy kids. And I was standing on the stage, woefully unprepared. I thought, oh, I'll just do like wordless book thing with big poster board. Nope. Like I stood there and tried to talk for probably about five minutes where I just was trying so desperately to walk through the colors of the wordless book, talking about, hey, my favorite color is yellow. Like I didn't, I was trying because I knew they were kids, but it was impossible. It was literally just deafening roar. I was mic'd up and everything. I could not hear myself talk not exaggerating in the least. I could not hear myself talk because it was just a deafening wall of sound beating against me the entire time. There were like two kids listening to me, sitting like literally right, like on my feet on the stage. One of them was a pastor's kid and she would yell at all their answers at the right time. So I said, thank you, Annabeth, right? But that's how extravaganza went. And that's how it worked for a few years. And so last year, we went through that, and I gave a little bit of feedback and saying, hey, guess what? That was horrible. I hate that, right? And so they were like, oh, whatever, right? And then someone else came in and said something similar, and they're like, okay, we'll listen to him. And so then they decided, 
that this year they're doing something different. And I don't know if you were here, or probably not since you're here now, but this morning uh, over at Mainside here in Anderson and next week at Southwood at Mainside, uh, they are having walk through the resurrection. And what that is, is that they divide and conquer the little kids. Okay. They, they take these like 400 screaming psychopaths and they split them up into groups of like 10. Because when there's just 10 of them, you can just bop them. Okay. So they get groups of 10 and they walk them through the hallways. And as they pass by different rooms, they look in and they will see me. I'm going to be one of the people at Southwood. And we are talking about the resurrection. And so I'm some dude talking to Mary. And so they'll walk up and they'll see me. I'll be like, Mary, you wouldn't believe it. There was Jesus. And he talked to me on the road. Ha! And so the kids, when they hear these things, I mean, that's, that's how the gospel is going to sink in because they're going to hear story after story after story. Because we realized as a church body, we said, you know what? Extravaganza is fun. Kids get a lot of sugar and their parents love that, right? That's really great. And it brought in a lot of outreach. But you know what? There's no gospel. And so because of that, we're going to kill this event. We're just going to strike it dead because there's no gospel. So it's pointless. We're here to present the gospel. That's why we exist as a church. So why would we have an event that does not communicate the gospel? And so we're having walk through the resurrection. Instead, that's why this morning, our beloved Matt Morton dressed up like a Muppet and <laughs> went and was, I think, the Apostle John, right? And he put this on his Facebook page. So fair use, okay? So he went up and he was the Apostle John because that's how we knew we could get the gospel forth. That's how we knew we could present the gospel in a memorable way through stories. So as you are presenting your story, realize you need to include the gospel. And some of us, we hear that and we're like, well, okay, I just realized I never had a conversion, right? Maybe you just realize, well, I don't think I ever really did. I don't think I ever really realized that I was a sinner and that Christ died and rose again for my sins. I don't think I ever put my faith in Christ for the forgiveness of my sins so that I could now have eternal life and the Holy Spirit within me. I don't think I ever did that. And if that's you, please talk to me after the service or talk to your friend that brought you. Or if you want, you can just sit there in silence and tell God, Lord, I believe. I believe that I was a sinner, that Christ died and rose again for those sins. God, I want to trust Christ for that forgiveness of my sins, for the wrong things that I've done. God, I want that forgiveness. I want your spirit to empower me to live for you. If you just tell that to the Lord right now, you're saved. That's it. And some of us, I mean, we hear that and we say, well, I've done that, but I don't know if I could share the gospel in under 10 seconds or under five or in one sentence. Let me challenge you. If you can't, learn it. If you can repeat what I just said, learn it. Be able to present the gospel in five seconds. Because a lot of times, maybe that's all the time you'll have. And if you want to include it within your story, man, you've got to work it in. You've got to tell people about this fact that they're sinners, that Christ died and rose again for those sins. That if they just put their faith in Christ, that they will be given forgiveness. They will be given eternal life. They will be given the Holy Spirit. Be able to communicate that with people in your story. And that brings us to our last C. Because as we're aware of our culture and honest about our conduct, and as we're detailed with our conversion, including the gospel, you wrap up by being bold in your calling. Okay, and there's two callings. 
First of which we see Paul say in verse 17. He says, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves do not know. Know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. We see this first calling that Paul says, and he's talking about his own calling. He's bold in the fact that he tells his audience, this is what I'm called to do. I am called to go forth and spread the gospel of Christ to everyone. Specifically, God has sent me to the Gentiles. And now that's huge because Paul knew that as soon as he mentioned Gentiles, everyone in the audience would get so mad because he knew he was speaking to Hebrews who were the chosen people of God, who'd rejected Christ, who hated Gentiles. And as soon as Paul said, guess what? Gentiles are going to be included in God's family. He knew they would be mad. He knew they would get riled up. But he was bold and he said it anyway because it was the truth. He said, this is what I'm called to do. Even though he knew it would be that moment, right? That Harlem Shake moment where the beat drops, right? Just they're all listening. Gentile, right? And people are in panda outfits. Like that's, he knew, he knew that would happen. But yet he went ahead and he said it anyway because it was the truth, because it was his calling. And it's more so than just his own calling. But man, we don't only tell people that I am proclaiming the gospel of Christ, right? We don't only tell people, hey, look, I'm living life for God. Think about how many minds would be blown if they asked you, hey, what are you doing after graduation? And you said, serving God. Maybe through an engineering job, maybe through an accounting job, right? Where are you moving? Oh, you know, Dallas or Austin or wherever. Why are you going there? To live for God. Imagine how many people would just be really weirded out by that statement. But it's the truth. That's our calling. We've been told that our lives are forfeit, that we are now slaves to Christ, that we are now living for him. So be honest with people about that calling. Don't hide it. Proclaim it in your story. As you're talking about your conversion to Christ and as you're talking about what God is doing in your life now, Be honest about your calling. And more so than that, give them their calling. Tell them that because of what you have seen God do in your life, he is also calling them to put their faith in Christ. If you're talking to a fellow believer, our stories are useful to encourage or to motivate. They're they're useful to convict people, right? Those are are great reasons to share a story with other believers. But if you are sharing your story with a non-believer, like I already said, the point of your story is to call them to faith in Christ. That is the reason you are talking to them in class or at work or at your house. No matter what, the point of your existence, the reason you are conversing with them, the reason God has put you together is so that you can call them to Christ. Realize that. Give them that calling. Be bold in that. Don't get so caught up in your story about you that you start going on for 15 minutes about, oh, well, God did all this and did all this and did all this. Uh, There was this horrible commercial uh, for the Toyota Prius that I saw like a year ago. It just freaked me out. Uh, Some of you hopefully won't be too traumatized by this image. Okay, Toyota Prius. Imagine your mind. Okay, I'm going to buy a Toyota Prius. The commercial probably had like a car in it. Right? Maybe like some bird. It's environmentally friendly, so like some grass or something. 
No. Instead, there is this terror demon of people. I don't know if you can tell, but those are people making up the face of a bigger person. His nose is a butt, okay? That's what you're looking at. There's this entire commercial where this monstrosity, this hell spawn was like walking around a house and it was all just people and they're all like holding onto each other and like moving around and it was so creepy. It was one of those things I saw. I was like, what in the world is going on? Right? I felt like I was going insane or having a flashback thing, right? It, it was freaking me out because they're trying to sell a car, but what do you notice in this picture? The car? No. You see this horrific demon, right? That's what you see. You don't see the dang car in the driveway. You see this weird thing. Ugh, like I'm still grossed out by it, right? Because if someone at, at Toyota was like, oh, we should have everyone be like together and it's like a environment or whatever. And they got so caught up in their crazy little drug-fueled ideas that they lost sight of the car. That's why you have a commercial is to sell the car. The reason we have our stories is to tell people the gospel, to call them to Christ, to bring them to faith in our Lord. That's why we have stories. That's why we need to keep these stories short. As you're sharing your story with someone, it doesn't need to be 10 minutes. It doesn't need to be five minutes. It could be like three minutes, two minutes. Do you see Paul shares his testimony in like 20 verses? That's it. Paul. Paul, who did like all kinds of crazy stuff, right? Paul, who had all of these things happen in his life, all these different things he could talk about. But instead, he keeps it short. He does the 20 verses. He's able to communicate his entire story, include the gospel, connect with his audience, and then call them to the real Christ, call them to faith. He does it all in 20 verses. And we need to be able to do that. That's why this week, man, my challenge to you, as we are singing a few more songs, as we enter into a little bit more worship, I would just challenge you. Maybe you sing the words on the screen. Maybe you just sit and are quiet. Maybe you just stop and pray and ask God to bring your story to mind. Okay, that's my challenge for you. For all of us to just sit down and write it out. Type it up. Think of your story. And then pray, ask God, beg him to open up an opportunity to share that story with someone else this week, next week. Easter's coming up. So many conversations could easily be started. What are you doing for Easter? Well, instead of telling them, well, I'm going home, seeing my parents, tell them, you know what? I'm going to celebrate the death and resurrection of my Lord. Say it. Be bold. Let that be a door to open up the chance to tell your story. Because that's why we're here. And that's, that's what this is all about. So during this time, I would just, I would ask you, just pray. Ask God to either bring that person to mind, to bring your story to mind. Don't let this just be another sermon that you listen to a week before Easter. Let this be the moment that you nail down your story. That you prepare it to share with someone else. So let's pray. God, we are amazed that you are so great and so powerful that you have been able to move into every life in this room. That God, that maybe you've moved in some of our lives and have led us to faith in your son. That God, that maybe you've moved in some of our lives and you just brought us here. 
maybe with a lot of questions. But God, we see that you are mighty. So God, we pray that we would take this moment and just ask for you to use that power to bring our story to light. So go ahead, take a moment. Think about your story. Ask God to bring someone to mind that you can share your story with tomorrow, tonight, this week.